You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. As we've been, this is our third week that we've been talking about uh, Jesus feeding the five thousand, and it's so interesting, you know, that John seems more interested in the after party with that miracle than he did the miracle itself. Like he spent just a few verses kind of telling us, like, yeah, Jesus fed all these people is a miracle. But he spends a long time, like he gives us details and just conversation and uh, going on and on about the situation and afterwards. And there's just some significantly important things in our life. And what I really sense that God wants us to look at this morning is, is Jesus is talking to these people. We're going to see that they started out seeking Jesus then they're complaining about Jesus. Then they're arguing with themselves and really arguing about Jesus. And then they reject him and they walk away. And what, what I really, God wants us to think about this morning is kind of reflecting on the attitudes and, and motivations of our heart. Uh, when our kids were younger, Susan and I tried early on and we were not great at it. We worked at it. And sometimes it's just, it's hard being a parent. It's not easy. But we try to, to not just focus on like what our kids are doing on the outside. We wanted to focus on what was going on on the inside. You know, what, not just what they were doing, but why they were doing what they were doing. Not just the behavior, but the motivation and the attitudes of their heart. And sometimes kids just do the wrong thing, but they, have the right motive, right? You know, they just don't know how to do it or just like, thank you. Oh, I'm so upset this happened, but thank you. I know you didn't mean bad. You know, sometimes as parents were have to work through that, but they don't need they don't need discipline in that moment. They just need help, you know, they're maturing and trying to figure things out in life and all of that. And then Sometimes they do need discipline. Sometimes they need to be corrected, but it's really corrected because the attitude of their heart just stinks, you know? God spends a lot of time in the Bible telling us not just what to do, but why we ought to do it and what our heart's attitude ought to be toward that. And when our kids were growing up, and it wasn't just, frankly, it wasn't enough for us that they did what we expected of them, but they needed to have the right attitude about it. They're, they're just the inside of them needed to be on a better trajectory. And we're going to see this morning that, that God has some profound things for us that just that I think will shape and affect our heart, our reflection of worship with Him and how we live for Him. And it's really centered around this, this idea that God is the one who draws us into a relationship with Him. You know, we anybody that surrenders your life to Christ and that really wants to live their life for Him... They've moved forward in their life, and they've, they are looking to Jesus. But there's an invisible side to that, that sometimes the Bible kind of pulls the curtain back, kind of pulls the door back that we can't see behind it until the door gets pushed aside, and there is no Wizard of Oz back here, just an old closet and sound equipment. But we only see this side of it. And sometimes God, when it comes to our salvation, pulls the door back and shows us his side of it. And that's what Jesus is doing this morning. So read with me, if you would, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to read verse 41 and following. There's a lot of verses in the rest of this chapter. Uh, we're not going to read them all. I'll kind of summarize it here or there, but we're really going to focus on the first part of this section. 
So Jesus had just told them that he's the bread of life and that they, had, they needed to believe on him and that when they did, that he'd give them eternal life and he'd raise them up on the last day. And look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him. They went from seeking him, now they're complaining and grumbling about him. And here's why. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, it's never a wise move to complain about things that God or Jesus says. It's never, it never really ends well for us. It's never really good to complain about that, to argue with God. You're not going to win. Like God will let you stay in your delusion if you're hell-bent in that and just to stay with whatever you think. But it's really never a smart move. So they're complaining. They didn't like that Jesus said He was the bread of life, that He had come down from heaven. They just like... You know, they got all hot and bothered by it. In verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? What? We, what? He's not an alien. He's not supernatural. We, we know this guy. We know his mom. We know his dad. There's nothing special about him. I don't know why they forgot that he just did a miracle and fed 15,000 people and that all of the meals looked identically the same, every single one of them, not even a... You know, McDonald's can even pull that off. You know, you go and just your burger might be a little okay, the next one might not be so okay, and whatever, and all of them were just perfect because that's what Jesus does. He does things perfectly. They missed all of that. And then Jesus answered them, Do not grumble, in verse 43, among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody out there can come to me except that God my Father in heaven is, are, is doing something in their life. It's an impossibility, he says. And he goes on, he says, And I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everybody who comes to me only comes because the Father has drawn them. And everybody that's really learning exactly who I am and who God is, they've learned, they come to me. Not that anyone in verse 46 has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, which is Jesus' way of saying, look, if you're not paying attention, at least hear me on this one. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I want you to notice this morning about this idea of God drawing us to himself. That five, five things about it. That The first thing I want you to recognize is that God draws us to himself powerfully. When, it, when the Bible says that God draws us, it's an idea of pulling. This word is a word that's used several times in the Bible. It was a common word in the day. It was used outside of the Bible, all kinds of things. Do you remember the story where Jesus is being arrested in the garden and Peter has a sword that day and he pulls out his sword? And, you know, most fishermen are probably not good swordsmen and he ends up cutting the guy's ear off and Jesus kind of chastises them. This is the same word. Peter draws his sword. He pulls it out of the scabbard or the sheath or whatever he had it with. He draws it. It's another use of it was when the fishermen were out and they threw the nets in the water and they were drawing them to themselves. 
It's a word that, that Paul and Silas were drawn into the, or out of the, the, the forum. They were drawn, they were pulled out. You see, the idea of this drawing in, involves two things. It involves the power and authority and the ability of the one doing the drawing, and it involves the resistance of the one being drawn. Every time this word is used in the Bible, it has those two things, that the one who is pulling is strong and powerful, pulling, you know, pulling the sword out, if you will, pulling the net, pulling those individuals along, and it has the power and the authority to do that. And there's a sense of resistance along the way. There is an, uh, an inertia. I'm not a, a physics guy. I'm not a math guy. But the sword, there's basically a rule that says if a sword is sitting there, it doesn't want to get pulled. Like you've got to exert energy and overcome. It's just wanting to stay there. It's going to resist. You pull a net through the water, it's going to get snagged. It's going to get pulled on things. There is a resistance. When the Bible says that God draws us to Him, it is a statement of the power of God in heaven to overcome our natural resistance as people to do what God wants us to do, to be drawn to Him. You see, as sinners, the Bible tells us that we're separated from God and that there's actually nothing inside of us that naturally makes us want God. In fact, we're the opposite. We're really pretty rebellious in our heart. We want to do our own thing. We don't like to be told what to do. If anybody didn't know that, all we have to do is look back over the last two years and wear masks and social distance and all of that. Nobody enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> we all have different perspectives of it. But nobody really just enjoys being told what to do. We all want to do our own thing when we want to do it, the way we want to do it, no matter how, and we reserve the right to change our minds. We naturally, as sinners before God, are resistant to God's authority in our life. We don't want that. We, we want to be able to live life the way we want to. We want to do what we want. We don't really want to be accountable to God. We don't want to be accountable to others. We'd really rather be left alone. And so for us to have a relationship with that God, for us to be forgiven of our sins, God has to do something. He has to reach out and draw us with His strong arm and pull us toward Him. He has to... Move first. The Bible says earlier, and we saw this last week, and Jesus said this in verse 37. Three times in this passage, by the way, Jesus talked about this, and John reports it to us, but in verse 37, it won't be on your screen. You can look in your Bible. The Bible says this. It says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Everybody that the Father gives to me and he is, that He is reaching out and drawing comes to me. Every single one. You see, God is stronger than our soul. God is stronger than us. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, if you have surrendered your life to Him, professed your faith in Him for Him to be Lord of your life, to be in charge and in control of your life, asked Him to save you from your sins, put yourself, yielded yourself under His authority, the Bible is telling us that while you took steps to learn and to, to understand what that means and to kind of kind of get it and you you put yourself, you know, you trusted Jesus and received that gift of salvation, that's your side of the door. But God is opening the other side of the door saying, yeah, 
my invisible hand was actually pulling you along. I was drawing you. In fact, if I wasn't doing that, you wouldn't have come. It would have been no different than that sword just sitting in its sheath, be no different than a net laying in the water, be no different than, than that inertia, and our soul would just keep us apart from God, and we would be happy to do that. We'd be happy to stay there. It should really have quite an impact in our life, guys, because there's a lot of people in this world, and not everybody ends up coming to trust Christ. And what these verses are telling us, if we really trust Jesus, it's because God reached down in heaven and said, I'm going to pull that one to me. That one, I'm going to reach out. That one, I'm drawing toward me. You see, the world, God as an eternal God, sees everybody together at the same time. I mean, I don't, I don't understand God exists outside of space and time. He doesn't operate within space and time like we do. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that can begin to understand it, but he, he sees the world as it always was and would be and could be and has been and all of that and all the people and every single one that God the Father reaches out and draws to Him, they come. Not one of those is lost. And not one of those naturally in and of themselves comes to Jesus. None of them, none of us are smart enough. None of us desire it. None of us can figure it out. Only God in heaven has revealed Himself and then reaches out and pulls us to Him individually. This should profoundly impact our soul. Now, it can, in the wrong thinking, this can actually make you prideful and arrogant and all kinds of stuff. But actually, it should do the exact opposite. Right off the bat, it should humble us. It should help us to realize, oh my goodness, God not only saved me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for me, but God the Father decided He wanted to do this. See, it's not just that God sent Jesus who died on the cross and said, okay, I'm just going to spread this word to the whole world, and those of you that are smart and get it, you're going to see Jesus and be saved. Those of you that are privileged to have the opportunity to hear that are going to you know, reach out and be saved and kind of put the focus on us. What the Bible is telling us that behind the scenes and visibly is that God in heaven said, no, I'm going to ensure and I'm going to pull those certain individuals to me. And if that doesn't humble us and realize that says, God, there in theory could have been a day where you said, yeah, I'm not going to save that one. I'm not going to draw that person to me. I'm not going to grant that one to Jesus. If that doesn't humble us, I don't know what does. If that doesn't almost put a little bit of, not just a fear of awe into us of God, but of, whoa, God, I don't like. If, if hell scares you, and by the way, it should, it ought to humble us to say, God, you... You saved me from that. And I am, like, there is nothing that I've done for my salvation. That Jesus did it all, and now I'm learning what you did. In churches, we often talk about what Jesus did, as we should. The Bible all points to Jesus from beginning to end, and about what he did on the cross and the resurrection that we're going to celebrate soon in Easter. But God is telling us about the Father's work and our salvation. 
and my brain is not big enough, and I am definitely not smart enough to understand how God draws and does His work behind the scenes, and at the same time holds us responsible, and we come to Jesus. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. And those two things people have debated and churches have debated and get hot and bothered under the collar and all about and everything under the sun. But the Bible tells us is both of those are true. And we can't diminish the God side of that. And it should actually cause us with such humility that God would not just lower himself to make our salvation possible, but he lowered himself and not only made our salvation possible individually, but he said, I'm going to ensure it and I'm going to bring that individual to me and I'm going to rescue them and I'm going to save them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should humble you. It should cause an incredible gratitude in your soul today. It should cause an incredible sense of security in your soul that your salvation is not based on you. It's, it's, not on, it's not on you. That should, that should remove tremendous fear. That should remove anxiety and worry about where you stand with God. Honestly, that should help remove and pull fear and anxiety and worry about how we live life because it should bring an incredible security that God is so watching over you that in all of this grand history of time and all of that, that in all the things that could have happened, you could have been born into this world and into that one and all of these things that, that God superintended and worked in your life in such a way, and, and even though that bad things happened to you in life and in your past and all of that, but God was still working to make sure that not only that you heard the gospel, but He was actively pulling you to Himself for salvation. There should be such a boldness in our heart and our soul of how we live life because God has received us like He's done it all. Knowing all full well who we are and the messes in our life and the sin. And the crazy thing is, is that all the while we were disobeying Him and all the while we were rebelling against Him, and all the while we were resisting and not wanting to do what He wanted and offending Him directly, he still reached out and didn't just make our salvation possible, but He made it a reality and drew us to Himself. That should cause such a, a, a worship and an act of devotion in our heart and of gratitude to a God in heaven who's, who just did all of that for us. Just as a little girl was touched and so fearful not to be able to... In, to experience what she wanted to, and every kid who wants to be able to play soccer ought to have that opportunity, right? But we ought to look back and say, God, you didn't just make it possible for me to play this or to have this, but God, you gave me eternal life. Like There should be just such a, an overflow of our soul because we're human, not every day we're going to feel that the same way, but there's moments in our life where it should well up. And I hope that somehow as we're looking at that this morning, that God's kind of afresh reminding you of that, that we stop back and say, God, you're amazing. The most super thing to happen today is not the Super Bowl and who wins that, but as God is that you saved me and drew me to yourself, that my soul was not at risk, 
that you pulled me and you did something amazing. And by the way, because God is a powerful God, that should make us boldness, bold when we think about our family and friends that need to trust Christ. You see, everybody resists God. You did early on. Now, whether or not you are fully aware of it or not, you were. You were trying to do your own thing and ignoring God. And God's like, I got to get your attention. And he began to invisibly pull us, kind of like the fish that get hooked in the mouth that don't see the, the, you know, the fishing line, the thin little invisible line. And God is, begins reeling us in. He pulls us to Him. But it should give us a boldness as we pray about and talk to our family and friends that, that there's nobody that is so resistant, so stubborn, so prideful, so thick, so clueless, so obnoxious, so sinful, so bad, so evil, so whatever, that they can resist fully the powerful arm of God. That's what Jesus is telling us this morning. Now, the second thing I want you to recognize, though, is that not only does God draw us powerfully, but He draws us persuasively. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus says, and this is where we look carefully and critically at Scripture. Sometimes we need to catch a feel of what's going on, kind of the big picture, and sometimes we do need to look at the nuts and bolts and the tails. And Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Notice Jesus said, no one can come to me. And Jesus told them, those people that he fed, the ten or 15,000 people, you know, he was demonstrating that he's the bread of life, and he's telling them to come to me. So he's saying, behind the scenes, behind the door, God's drawing you. But he also says, but you need to come. You aren't that fish that's just sitting there, trying to resist and doesn't like to be caught. You, you need to come, and you will come. And somehow, in some way, God works. And I don't think any person can fully describe the reality of this. But God begins to persuasively work in our soul to where we don't want to be pulled into God initially, to where we become open to being pulled in by God, to where we want to be pulled by God, to where we're like, God, I want you, and I want this. God persuasively, and He persuades, He woos our soul, and He, he awakens our heart to sin. He, he shows that, you know, He confronts us with that. Nobody can ever be a true child of God who's not willing to admit that they're a sinner. Nobody. Because without that, you can't be saved. Without that, you can't really surrender your life to Jesus because you've not admitted that you need Him, that, you've, that you are in need of saving. You've not admitted that you are in need of surrendering to Him. It's irrelevant what our religious backgrounds are and what we grew up in and all the traditions and all of that, that God has to one by one, individually, begin drawing us but also Jesus commanding us, come. It's kind of like that dog owner that's training its dog that says, I know you don't want to come to me, but I'm giving you the command. And then the dog begins to obey and to follow. And Jesus, somehow in the process of all of that, awakening our heart to sin. And then on the other hand, 
confronts us, he confronts us with that, his holiness and his justice and how he feels about that. But then he woos us and says, I want to forgive that. And I want to make you right. And I want to make you whole. And I want you to experience my grace and my mercy and my love. And so he, he kind of does those two things together. And as, and as our heart begins to awaken by what we learn from Jesus and the Holy Spirit does in our life, there's a, there's a persuasiveness in our soul that we want that. Now that's the part that we're aware of. We're aware, we're, we see on this side of the door that, wow, I knew that I needed God in my life. I knew that I needed something. I knew that I was messed up and I began seeking God and then I began discovering. We know all of that. We see it. But it's so amazing that our salvation was never at all dependent on us. And because of it, it's all the more secure. Let's face it. Anything that's totally dependent on you is a bit at risk, is it not? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's at risk. Some of you will tell me, like, hey, Sean, can you do this? Or can I you know, do this? And like on a Sunday, I'll be like, text me. Because I, my brain, it's fried and shot, and I probably won't remember. We can't depend on ourselves, but the God of heaven is the one who's dependable. So the two sides of those things are absolutely incredible. It should cause us to worship Him. It should cause us to do what Jesus said, come to Him. Like the faster we respond, the faster we sit there and stop being obnoxious, the faster we stop kicking our heels in. There's some people that when they trust Christ and I've helped them with it, I'm like, my goodness, they are just kicking and screaming the whole way through. You know, it's just like, why don't you just give up already? God is trying to work in your life and get your attention. Just be a lot easier, a lot less painful, a lot less emotional, and you'll actually like it if you really, and they eventually get there, but it's harder than what it would have been because he's changing our, our life in the way. Third thing, not only does he draw us powerfully, he draws us persuasively, he draws us personally. Again, we're looking at the nuts and bolts. Notice that the Father draws, but he draws us to Jesus. It's to him. No one can come to me. Just as Peter drew his sword to himself for his purpose and his use in the drawing of the net, there's this idea of drawing. I don't care if you're putting a bucket down in the water and you're pulling it up to you. There's a coming to you kind of peace in this. And what God is doing is He's drawing us to Jesus. He's drawing us to a relationship with Him. He's not drawing us to a religion. He's not drawing us to a way of belief. He's not drawing us to a, an ideology. He's not drawing us to a value system. Not drawing us to new traditions. Not drawing us to any of that stuff. I mean, sure, some of those things can be involved. The Bible tells us what we ought to believe and how we ought to view the world and all kinds of things. But what the Bible is really telling us is that, he, that we have a relationship with Him, that God is bringing us to Him, that we are far from God, separated from God because of our sin, and He's overcoming it through Jesus when He died on the cross for our sins, and God has got His hooks into us, if you will, pulling us and, and helping us to understand, and He's changing us. He's treating us like adults in the middle of that, and He's, we, he's saying, look, you need to surrender your life to Jesus, and we're involved in that process. He saves us, and we receive that salvation, but He pulls us, and He pulls us to Him personally. And that's what we ought to be excited about is that 
relationship with him. I got up this morning and I just, I don't know, there's some mornings that I've got, I don't know if I've got stress and stuff to do, and I'm thinking, okay, I got, you know, my laundry list like you do, and then there's other days that not so much, and I was getting in, I turn the shower on, I take a shower and, and turn the hot water on, and, and usually, you know, it takes a while for it to heat up, and I reach in, I'm like, oh, that's cold, uh-oh. I hope we have hot water today. I really don't want cold showers and seven people, like how to do all that. And then I'm like, oh, I think it's getting warmer. Okay, all right. Oh, I got to tell you, I was like, God, thank you for hot water. I can't remember the last time I thanked you for that, but thank the Lord for hot water. And my morning, I'm just like, God, thank you. Like, that's just, thank you. Like, I'm good. Just thank you. What a great day to be a child of yours, to be a relationship with you, that you loved us, and everything is so good because of what you've done. Thank you, God. Thank you. He pulls us to himself, and we have a relationship with him. That's what people crave. It's part of why we've struggled as people, frankly, all over the world and definitely in the U.S. because of the last couple of years with COVID. It's not so much the rules as we just... Whether you like it or not, all the masks and all the rules have just separated us, and people are cranky, and just, just we're not in the relational connection space that we need and that we're used to. And God overcomes all of it, and He gives us to Himself. It's a personal drawing. It's not only personal, but it's a permanent drawing. Look what the Bible says. You're probably picking up on the P's. I'll blow your mind on the next one, but I got one more after this one. But it's a permanent drawing. He says, everybody who comes to me, you know, draws them, and he said, or I draw, God draws them, and they come to me, and in verse 44, and I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise him up. Three times in this section, Jesus says, I will raise him up. I will raise him up. I will raise him up. I think God wants us to know that part of our salvation, that we see Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, that He's our bread, that eternal life that we need. When we trust Him, we're so secure that He's going to raise us up on the last day. This is not a passing, fleeting kind of thing. This is a surrendering your life to Jesus, and He's got you, and you're with Him. And no matter what happens in your life, He's going to raise you up. No matter what earth-shattering, no matter what crazy things go on in the world, no matter what crazy things go on in you or in your family or any of the situations that God has got you in Jesus Himself, the worst, the most final, ultimate thing that could ever happen to you is you die <laughs> in this world. You die. That's it. Everything else is child's play, right? Everything. Your car breaking down. Yeah, I think death is a lot worse than that. You know, your team not making it Super Bowl, I think death's a lot worse than that. Not getting the job you want, losing your job, relationship falling apart, being a mess. I'm not saying we enjoy that. Health not being what you want. We don't enjoy it, but death is kind of like the worst thing that we face. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to raise you up. I got that. And everything in between is good too, by the way. It's a permanent wooing, a permanent drawing that you're good and I've got you. In eternity, I've got you and I've got you now. It's permanent. And the fifth thing with God's drawing, I'm breaking the P's, not because there's not a P, but because the, the P word is, is a difficult word. The teachers in the room, you know the word pedagogy, right? So this next one is educational. It could have said pedagogical or pedagogical or whatever the right way to pronounce it. God draws us by teaching us. Look what the Bible says in verse 45. It's an education piece. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. 
Here's what Jesus is telling these Jews. Guys, guys, come on now. I'm explaining to you. I already told you that I'm saying this because I want to save you. He told us that last week. He's like, I'm not trying to be obnoxious. I'm actually trying to tell you the truth. And the Bible and the prophets that you claim tell you this, that God is going, the Father is going to teach you. And the way he's teaching you is through me. You see, God draws us to himself. Jesus is trying to call these people to him. He's trying for those that God is wooing for them to get it. And he's trying to have that work in their souls that they see their sin and say, what am I doing arguing and resisting Jesus? And they repent of that. He's trying to make them aware of it. But what God does when he pulls us to him is he teaches us. He educates us. He awakens our heart. He tells us exactly who Jesus is. He tells us who we are as sinners. Tells us how valuable that we are. That even though we've had a, a life that we've wondered, you know, people love us and all, we experience some horrible things in life, some worse than others. God in heaven says, I love you. And you're important to me. And I've sent my son Jesus to die for you. Oh, you need to know that you're a sinner separated from me. But you need to know that I love you. And I want you and my family. He teaches us that. He draws us that. You see, that's why for some of you this morning, you're in that process that you're trying to pursue God and you kind of know things aren't right and life's not working out the way it wants. And frankly, what God's doing is invisibly pulling you in. But He wants you to not be resistant and He wants you to learn what He's trying to teach you, not just in life, but out of His his Bible and out of His Word. And there's a teaching aspect of that. That's why we want to do, that's why we're so interested to be able to minister through this uh, care portal because we can help people practically, but at whatever level they're open and are, are willing to let us minister to them, we can do it. If they don't really are comfortable hearing anything about the Bible, that's fine. We're not going to be jerks or obnoxious. You don't do that at work. We're not going to treat by that way. We, at the very end of the day, just want everybody to know that God loves them and we love them as a church, right? And if they let us pray for them, that's awesome. If they let us talk a little bit more, that's awesome. Whether they come to church or not is irrelevant. But maybe we actually get a chance to tell them that God not only loves them and that we came here because we care about them and give them something and give the kids something, but that God also loved them and sent His Son Jesus to die for them. See, that's why we do our other activities. That's, that's ultimately, ladies, the, the paint and soup thing last week was fantastic. I saw which ladies of my family have a hand of art and which ones don't. <laughs> if it were me, I'm not that guy. I'm not a painter. <laughs> so I already know which group I would belong in. And, uh, but it was awesome. But hearing like there was almost like 50 ladies, I think, you know, and, and the fellowship that happened and all that was great. But what I love about those events that we do, whether it's that or whether we do, you know, like in the past, we've done egg hunts, all kinds of different things. The goal in all of those is never to just have people to come, but it's to have a relational connection, just like this care portal, so that we can have opportunity to educate, to expose people to Christ, to help them to see that there's somebody, that there's people, there's a God who's real and who loves and cares, 
And those individuals that God is drawing as we engage them in relationships begin to take next steps. And that's what we're about as a church. That's why we do those things. So how does this end up? This group of people, after Jesus shares all of this, they get really ticked off because he tells them all over again. He's like, look, I'm the bread of life. I came for my flesh. He's talking a metaphor, but to give life to the world. He's talking about dying on the cross. And they start getting mad. And he says, look, if you don't want to drink my blood and eat my, my flesh, you can't have eternal life. You can't be saved. And they really got mad. They thought it was kind of gross and gory and really was against the law of God. And they told him, like, Jesus, that's kind of a hard thing to say. What are you talking about? They got offended. And I, I don't know what Jesus did. I don't know if he shrugged his shoulders or whatever. I'm, I feel like I would have. But they left and they rejected Jesus. They didn't want to hear it. And what Jesus was trying to tell them is, yeah, you can't figure out who I am. You're arguing and debating this, and you're just not smart enough, and you're not listening to me. God's trying to teach you, and you're resistant. And if you don't start getting that squared away, it's going to be obvious that you're not going to have any eternity with me. And then Jesus, so that whole crowd just leaves. I and mean, Jesus, by the way, was at church when he did this. They were in the synagogue. It says in verse 59, the day before they were in the field, now they're in the, the synagogue. And after all those people left, look at verse 66. The Bible says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They rejected him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? <laughs> That's pretty pointed. You want to go too? See, this whole thing with drawing, Jesus is so confident. He's like, if God the Father's really drawing them, I'm not going to lose them and they're going to stay. Do you want to go? You're welcome to go if you want to go. It's okay. You don't have to follow. Look what Peter said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, we've surrendered our life and believed, committed ourselves to you, and we have come to know, not wonder, but know, you are the Holy One of God. Peter, that spokesman for the group, said, we're not leaving, they're crazy. You've got the words of eternal life. Nobody else does. You are the Holy One of God. Each person to have that eternal life relationship with Jesus must come to that same conclusion and surrender their life to Him. It's not about past prayers and what church you grew up in or what the traditions of the church was, whether you've been baptized or not. None of those good things that are good things, it boils down to, are you going to surrender to what Jesus wants? The work that He wants is for you to put your full trust and faith and surrender your life to Him, that He is the Savior and the Holy One of God. That's what He wants. For some of you this morning, you need to take that step and just simply say, God, I surrender. I want Jesus to be in charge of my life. It's simply, It's that simple. For others of us this morning, we need to... Be humbled in gratitude and be thankful that our life is so secure. Because our life is so secure in Jesus, we don't have to be insecure as we live, as we go out, as we're out and about. 
I've learned a lot. I think I mentioned this cat that we adopted recently. I don't actually, cats tend to adopt us. Some of you are going to be like, yes, yeah, Sean, you feed a cat that comes by, you adopted the cat. The cat didn't adopt you, and I get that, but I like to at least play a little tough, so go with me. But, you know, this, this stray cat wanders into our garage, and it was really young, and obviously was, you know, it was, it was feral. It just, you know, never been around people or anything, was hungry and all of that. It took us probably two or three months just to even be where the cat would sit there and even trust us, and all the while just hissing, you know. I'm like, look, we're just trying to, like, give you a chance at life here. Just relax a little, would you? We caught it and had it neutered and all of that, and... And even to this day, and so, I mean, we've had it like eight months or so. It's in the house. And, you know, if you, if you put your hand right in front of its face kind of fast or whatever, it's just like, you know, it's just a little scared of all of it. But if you kind of come to the side, we've got it trained, like just, it's okay. You know, we're relaxed. We're not going to eat you. We really don't like the taste of cat, you know. And just like, life's good. It's a lot better than being outside when it's five below zero, cat. Like, chill, you know. Relax. And it's just, it's still a bit insecure, just as it lives life. I wish I could let the cat just chill, you know? Just like, life's really good, cat. It's okay. And so often, even after we know Jesus, we're like that cat. So insecure about all the other people. It's a little insecure about the other cats around and wondering if everybody's going to, what's going to do to it. And we're like that. And what this truth is, is that God has saved you, that you are so secure in life. You and I don't need to walk around in fear and worry and wonder, and we don't need to find our security and what other people think and all of that. That It's all good because of what God has done. There's so many right things in our life. The love for God in our heart, if you've struggled to even just kind of have that lately, just thank Him for what we talked about, that He saved you when He didn't have to. There were a lot of other cats in the world that he could have rescued, and he rescued you. And he rescued you. If that doesn't humble us and make us grateful to the God of heaven, I don't know what will. It should not produce any pride. If it's producing pride in you, there's something in your mind that's not squared away. And because God's done that, it should make us bold as we live out our faith and should make us live our life with a priority for God. So I don't know what God is speaking to your heart today. I hope it's kind of been an attitude, motivation, checkup in your soul, kind of a, to worship God, to reflect on Him, hopefully take a step toward Him, but respond to Him. Either put your full trust in Him today or take another step of that faith that you already established days or years ago and trust Him for everything that's going on in your world. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and He gave His life for us. Lord, thank you. There are so many cats in this world that you could have saved and you saved us. And Lord, it's so humbling. You are not obligated to save any cat. you would still be a just and holy and loving God without saving anybody. And Lord, I'm blown away by that. But you chose to. And thank you for that. Lord, help us to live out our lives with these just simple realities. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>